Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. CeraVe facial moisturizers with SPF protect skin against damaging UV rays and continuously deliver three essential ceramides to help restore skin's protective barrier so it can lock in moisture. Non-greasy, fragrance-free, and won't clog pores? With CeraVe, skin feels hydrated and looks healthy all day. CeraVe facial moisturizers with SPF from the number one dermatologist recommended facial moisturizer brand. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host, and this is episode 148. This week, I caught up with chef, author and Olive favourite Sabrina Gayo to chat about her latest book, Bazaar. She tells me how she's adapted some classic Persian dishes to be meat-free but still packed with flavour. I get some great tips on making the most of your store cupboard ingredients. And we cook one of the hero recipes together, a baked spice rice with a crispy, tardy crust. So welcome back to the podcast, Sabrina Gale. Thank you very much. It's lovely to see you. It's lovely to see you too. And we're here to talk about uh, your new book, Bazaar, which is all vegetarian recipes. I know, shocker. I know, because the Sabrina I know. <laughs> Likes meat. <Yeah. laughs> love, um, yeah, I love so a very it, diet. Yeah, when did it start, um, when did the idea start coming about that you were going to do a vegetarian book? To be honest, it didn't really sort of hit me as an idea. It was just because I started noticing how little meat I was eating by comparison to like, you know, just even the year before. This was probably, this probably works out to be about two years ago okay, now. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. I, I think my publisher had always sort of said, you know, anytime you want to do a vegetarian book. And I was like, <laughs> no, I eat meat. No. You know, I always, it's... I just felt for me it would have been disingenuous because yeah. I was Middle Eastern, I'm Persian, mm. I'm like, you know, I'm known for being a meat lover in yeah, the family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, it's just, it's such a normal thing. Yeah. I just felt enough people were doing nice vegetarian recipes and I'll leave it there. Yeah. 
And then I noticed I started doing weird stuff at home. Not weird stuff, <laughs> like, like stuff that were outside of my uh, comfortable um, repertoire okay. with vegetables at home. Like I just... I think one day I made something and I think you actually asked me to do something quite similar for the magazine. It was, oh, yeah, there was a was cabbage a, pasta. That, oh yeah, that was so good. It's, it's that kind of vibe. It, I remember the first time I made it, it was just because I had cabbage in the fridge yeah. that needed to be used, but I didn't have anything else in the house. Mm. So when I don't have anything else in the house, it always starts pasta and garlic and chili, you know, the yeah. aglio, olio, peperoncino, yeah. Italian. Because it's just there's that's when you've got nothing in the cupboards. Right. That's exactly it's how a that forage, recipe came. Foragey meal, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was like, cabbage. Oh God, that doesn't. Oh, stuff it. I'll put the cabbage in there. And I did put the cabbage in there. And then I found I had a really manky lemon that needed to be zested or <laughs> really solid it. <laughs> and and I flicked so, you know some lemon zest into mm. there and. <clears throat> Obviously, I always have a bit of feta as well. Yeah. So I kind of pulled it together and I was like, God, that really hit every yeah. spot I had, <laughs> you know. And I, I, it was the first time that it kind of started to occur to me that, you know, cabbage isn't your first port of call for a pasta recipe. No. But actually, maybe there's more to this stirring cabbage into it and random brassicas yeah. into so many different things. And it kind of started to make me think differently mm. which is not something I'd done before because it's I think at home if you're a meat eater you are if you're tired you either think take away right or if you do something at home it tends to usually involve meat so you'd kind of previously you'd start with the idea of what what meat am I going to get and then what am I going to do with or it? Or just you yeah. swing by a supermarket yeah. and, you and you pick, you just up, pick a up some of... you know not so hot packet of yeah. meat or something <laughs> or mince mince that great yeah, yeah, yeah. cheap can't be bothered cooks really quickly. That's an idea for the next book. I, know, yeah. <laughs> I think there's a pretty good book called Minspiration. Actually, actually, I know there's a '60s book called Marvelous Meals with Mints because I've mince. seen it. I, I love mints. I think if I ever quit meat I would be like but not mince right mince is like my bacon mince is know? like a separate food group it's, it's a separate food group it's pres- it's not even meat anymore it's been completely processed so it's fine um so yeah, I mean it I just realized now mm. that actually I'm 40 plus and my body just is like <laughs> you think you can digest me you sucker you really can't yeah and I have that problem Especially, and I hate to say it with beef because really? it's such a big animal. Yeah. And I think that lamb doesn't always have the same effect on me. Yeah. Not with minced beef, but like sitting down eating a, just a steak. Really even big if it's steak. Beautifully cooked. After a while, I'm like, just that repetitive chewing. Yeah. And I just, I give up. You don't want to be fighting your food, do you? I mean, it's that's. You, th- and you want to love it. Yeah. And the truth is, if something inside you is going, hey, hey, you've had enough. Hey, you don't really want me anymore. (laughs) Listen to it. Even if it's controversial for you personally, not controversial publicly, but like in your head, like, hang on, I love me. What's, why am I, why is my body not wanting this? Listen to your body. But if you're, so if you're like standing on the edge of the cliff of, I'm going to write a vegetarian book and, (laughs) and, and, 
and you've come from that previous meat eating kind of background. I mean, it must seem quite daunting that you've got to how many recipes have we got in the book? Must be oh, 100 plus. 100, yeah. I should really know. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's like 101. But that's quite a daunting prospect, isn't it? I mean, how did you approach it? How did you plan it? Was I mean, it... they always sort of come to me and go, Any ideas for your next book? Thankfully. <laughs> yeah. Um, otherwise, if, you, if there's a silence, like, yeah. essentially, that's not really a good thing. Um, they, they sort of came to me and I said, yeah, I mean, a lot of food that doesn't have meat in it. And then if for them, it was yeah. like, ah, like <laughs> glory, hallelujah. She's finally coming to a meatless book. Um, you know, that's the thing I, I'm never pushed to do. Sometimes stuff is suggested and most of the time I go, nope, yeah. <laughs> just shoot it down. <laughs> because if it doesn't feel right for me, yeah, you've I'm, got not to... gonna, I'm not going to do it. No. Not, I, I don't think, I'll say this, I don't think like I would ever write a baking book. Right. Why? Because, every, you know, they're yeah. everywhere and there are people who are far more gifted. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. Bakers than me. And also it's so saturated because yeah. of shows like Bake Off and things like that. And it's yeah. wonderful and educational, but like you don't need my recipe. But you're not living it like day to day. That's I'm not, not your... I'm not living it yeah. day to day. And actually how I'm living it is a bit of a mess sometimes <laughs> because the only reason I'm good at the bakes that I do make, yeah. and that's not all the bakes, like you would never see me write a shoe pastry recipe right. because there have been <laughs> some really bad disasters that I've entered like in the pancakes. bin. pancakes. <laughs> like, pa- pancakes I can make, shoe, shoe, shoe pastry, I'm like, you could put this in a pan? <laughs> and then it just was like, into the bin because it was just so bad. And I was just, who writes this stuff? And this was obviously years before I was a cook, but I just, I need to write the things that work for yeah. me. And maybe, I think people sometimes say to me, but it's your kind of cakes are the ones I want to make because I know they're easy. Mm. And I'm like, and then if you write easy bakes in wherever you search for books, it's riddled with it. Yeah. So, you know, it has to be right. And it just felt right. Yeah. And now I just wonder if maybe I have another, like, vegetarian book wow. in me for later down the line. Because I'm already making really? so many more just for myself at home veggie recipes and thinking, damn, that was good. So you you've, know? like, you've opened the door to... I've and opened Pandora's box vegetarian box. Yeah. <laughs> Pandora's yeah. veg box. Yeah, I'll never... There's a business idea in there somewhere. <laughs> don't tell anyone. <laughs> um, I don't think... Yeah, I don't think life will ever be the same, mm. actually. I don't suddenly think, well, stuff this. I've had enough of vegetables. I'm mm. going back to meat. Once in a blue moon, I do. Like last night, I had a serious craving for really well salt and pepper seasoned chops oh yeah nice this chops craving had been yeah. sitting in my head all bloody week <laughs> and I just kept thinking oh lamb chops and I kept going past butchers knowing yeah. that I was working so it's pointless buying them and I was like oh I just really want mm. lamb chops and then I finally went somewhere looking for lamb chops and they'd sold out <laughs> and that was the only night I could eat them so last night I finally got some and I came home and I there were six of them and of course by three like meat sweats totally yeah. sluggish couldn't move <laughs> You know, it's, you just got to get used to the habit yeah. that potentially you can't eat that way anymore, no. and you just need to accept that. Yeah. So when you when you did start recipe testing and recipe developing, um, did you have certain veg that you that you loved already that you know as a starting point, or were you just looking at all vegetables, you know, as a as your main ingredient? 
I think uh, it's quite interesting. That's actually a very, that would be a very intelligent way of planning a book, yeah. wouldn't it? <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm thicker than that. And then, and there, there is a method to my madness in it, that there's no method and it's just mad. Right. I don't, I wish I was more disciplined. And I, I, I sometimes look at people and they go, right, guys, I'm thinking of writing another book. Yeah. And then they ask their audiences, what do you think yeah. I should write? And I'm like, huh what because I'm just like quite envious of that because just that's not how I write a book I just end up putting recipe titles together okay just through you know keeping a list in my notes section on my phone and just traveling over time even if there is no book and then when it comes to doing a book I'll extract because I'll have like hundreds of recipe titles and ideas in my head based on something I ate maybe in yeah. you know, Thailand or whatever, that, yeah. and then come and chop and change it to be yeah. Sabrina-ized. Yeah. And then I just extract the ones that I think might work for whatever project I'm working on, whether that's a magazine or mm. whether that's a, a book. And then it just happens. And somewhere in that is a nice balance. And then somewhere I might go, oh my God, okay, there's like five butternut squash recipes yeah. and you know, not enough green yeah, so you bring so that, that in. But very last minute. Yeah. Um, or maybe I have one that I just kind of add in because it's already in my repertoire but not shared mm. publicly. And, yeah, it kind of happens like that. But, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I think <laughs> I think there'd be an uproar if I did a book without an aubergine recipe in no. it. Because people get really like, whoa, whoa. You know, because that's the meat of the Middle East yeah. in the vegetable world, isn't it? It's, and you it, do love aubergines, don't you? I, mean, I love aubergines. There's an aubergine on the cover. And <laughs> there is an aubergine on the cover, yeah. The cover um, itself is aubergine coloured. Yeah, it is. I mean, I had to resist with the pomegranates because I was like, stick a pomegranate on it somewhere. And then I was like, maybe not. No, but aubergine is one of those meaty veg, isn't it? It's a meaty veg. It's got really, that, it's got so much texture. and It really, really does. And it, it's such a wonderful carrier. But the problem with aubergines that I'll always maintain is yeah. most people don't know how to cook yeah, them yeah. And they properly. Or they sweat cook they, them and they yeah. become, the skin becomes grayish yeah, yeah. on the outside and the flesh becomes dull gray yeah. and bitter. Yeah. And they sweat and they're, and they're just not pleasant. So you what's know? your top tips for cooking aubergine? You, you just cannot, if you're going to cook an aubergine you can either roast it in the oven brush it with oil and then it doesn't absorb as much as you need it to and just flip them over um but if you're going to fry an aubergine there's no such thing as a as a tiny drop of oil you just can't get around it it's gonna suck up all that oil anyway it is but it's it is aubergines are like sponges they always as much water as a sponge will release almost Mm. when you squeeze it, it it kind of gives you that water out an aubergine is almost the same mechanism in that it is a sponge-like vessel it does absorb oil because it needs to cook Mm. the flesh but actually once that's done you can actually put it on lined uh like a a plate or a plateau lined with loads of kitchen roll and then take some extra and pat it gently and it'll give it back up again it'll give a lot of it back but the problem is if you shallow fry it and shallow frying for me is like a tiny skimp of oil at the bottom yeah I technically shallow fry things. I put like about, I don't know, let's say half an inch of oil, a generous yeah. <laughs> amount of oil in a pan. For me, that's not exactly deep frying, but no, it does the it's job. Quite, yeah. Yeah. Um, when you cook it that way, it doesn't absorb as much oil anyway, and it oh, cooks yeah. so much faster. Yeah. But teaching in my classes, I watch students week in, week mm. out cook aubergines, different groups of people yeah. with different opinions on how it should be. And I noticed that one thing they have in common is they 
are kind of slightly nervous of really browning an aubergine. Because yeah, I think it's going to burn. It's too yeah. much. And I'm just like, no, you really need to go for it. Um, and- I think I think people, I've got a theory that people who think they don't like aubergines have had really badly cooked aubergine. Because totally I just think it's, it's such a delicious veg when it's cooked properly. We've got... There that is no brings al dente a- aubergine. This is why I always no. say in my classes. Like, if <laughs> or aubergine, spongy. If it's, oh, that would be It should not have any resistance no, on the inside. It should. You should be able and to squidge you your finger it through it. In yeah. a restaurant yeah. where it does, yeah. send it back. Because, yeah. you know, th- the shame should be theirs for not yeah. cooking it properly. Yeah. But the only recipe on God's earth where aubergine has a little bit of texture mm. to it is when the Italians preserve their aubergines, they call it sotolio, in oh, oil. Right. And what they do is they salt them to get all the water oh, out so yeah. it doesn't, you know, ruin it and they're preserved. And then they kind of preserve it in oil with raw garlic and chopped yeah. mint and chili. And it's amazing. But that texture's it's great, totally isn't different. it? Yeah. It's a char-grilled yeah. sort of, you know, it's a totally different thing. It's got a lot more uh, substance to it. But aubergine's the truth is, if it's cooked, you should be able to swish your finger or yeah. a fork or a spoon through it, and it should be puree, yeah, yeah. and it should be beige, yeah, not grey. Yeah. <laughs> and that takes us neatly on to one of the recipes that you um, is in our issue this month, our May issue, um, sorry, April issue, um, which is your smoked aubergine, pepper, and walnut salad. Yeah. And what I'm fascinated by with this is because you do you do something that I do um which is the the br- the charring of the aubergines which you can do on if in summer on a barbecue but yeah. you actually previously have done it on a gas hob haven't you which yeah, is well, commonly quite... it's done on gas hobs yeah. Com- commonly in domestically it would be done on gas hobs um which is why I can't <laughs> you know sometimes I struggle if I go and like yeah. cater at someone's or yeah, I used yeah. to cater at somebody's house and I was like I, well, why didn't I bother to ask my client yeah. if they've got gas I mean you can do it kind of under a hot grill as well but what's really <laughs> nice about it is can do is it you can you can kind of control it on the hob can't yeah. you yeah so you in this recipe what are you doing with the aubergine you're you're literally blackening it to yeah like you said and listeners let me give you a tip because you'll thank me later otherwise you'll curse the the day that you listen to this podcast yeah. <laughs> you'll curse my name um if you are going to tackle this at home um l- like and you have gas hobs yeah. just whip that main round bit off your gas hob and okay. just line your hobs with foil because aubergines when they cook they've got these sugars inside them and those oh, right. juices pour yeah. out of the aubergine because wow. of a high water content bring the juices the sugars out with them and that becomes this brown liquid that seals itself to your stovetop okay. and requires a lot of elbow grease and a bit of steel wool to scrub but yeah. if you line it with foil no drama mama yeah, yeah. nothing <laughs> um so what you do is you turn your biggest hobs on ideally with a the, biggest flames the double burner is also fine if those lucky enough to have a double burner um and you take a pair of flame proof tongs so not just like a not the plastic ones um and then you literally place two aubergines directly onto the hob or one if it's a small hob right into the fire straight into the flame people are petrified of this and they go i'm so i'm so scared it's going to explode if it makes you feel better you can prick it but quite frankly don't yeah because this is a totally different process what happens is as the aubergine skin blisters just like human skin blisters when we burn ourselves Mm. it becomes tight yeah and then it starts to wrinkle as the moisture kind of goes back through it the same thing happens with the aubergine it becomes tight 
starts to blister and crackle, but it mm. does burst. The skin does actually eventually crackle yeah. and allow juices to come pouring out because what you're trying to do is essentially you're collapsing the aubergine from its full oh, mass right. to about okay. probably a third or even half of its mass because you're smoking it. Yeah. And but but putting it in the fire, a lot of the water will, will come, just out. come out. Yeah. And it will cook the insides. But what you just need to do is you need to blister and crackle it all around. Right. And then you don't have to worry about pricking it because it's going to crackle and burst anyway, okay. but not burst and, you know, cover yeah. an aubergine. Um, so that's kind of the process. It's a godsend on a barbecue because you just, just slap them in there in and like, toodles. And brilliant you go recipe back for the summer, and yeah. Drink or whatever and then, uh, you know, go back out again. But... You and know, then it's lovely. And this recipe, because it is, we've got peppers as well. You're doing the same, a similar thing with the peppers yeah. too and getting yeah. them blackened. And then that trick where you put them in a um, in a food bag, close it to steam. Just sweat steam, them off. Steam the skins yeah. off. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't take credit for that trick. I, the first time I ever saw that was with Jamie Oliver. Yeah. And I was Such like, a good genius. Yeah. <laughs> or you can just cover a bowling cling film yeah. and just, you just, you're sweating thing. the skins to separate them from the actual flesh I mean sometimes I get really lazy and I don't bother to do it but if, not for my clients more for me and then basically when mixing the that aubergine puree and the because you're scooping it out you leave the skins behind yeah you leave the skins behind because they're going to be blackened and shards yeah. of burnt stuff yeah um a tiny little bit is okay but yeah. just think Put put one of the bits of skins in your mouth and think, yeah. oh, that's unpleasant. And nobody else will, <laughs> yeah. is either going to want to eat that. Um, and then you kind of, you don't even need to mash the pulp in advance because mm. as you're mixing it, it will kind of mash it sufficiently. So it's yeah. not just um, some puree. You want a little bit of texture. Yeah. Um, and then as you bring the dish together, you know, just, it's really nice. Yeah. I love smoked aubergine, I have to say, in any cultures, because lots of cultures in the I East I know, I was going to say, that. it's really, a, it's kind of a common thing to do that and then mash it. You've got, yeah. um, you've got cinnamon, lemon, uh, some garlic, olive oil, and pomegranate molasses in there, which is such a lovely ingredient as well. Yeah, I think for me, pomegranate molasses um, complements the and does the same sort of job as the lemon I mean, really like but sour. it is totally it's got a pucker that's yeah, yeah, very yeah. very rich and different and you know smoked aubergines the greeks have it the turks have it the persians have it the arabs have it the indians have it pakistan everyone, everyone seems it. to have yeah. one version um of a smoked aubergine dish and they're all so different yeah so they all know how to cook aubergine well, we do <laughs> Uh, well, it was, you know what? It's, until, just a, it's just us Brits who just haven't got clear. I guess well, it's because it's not. But why would you though? Yeah, it's if not. It's, uh, if it's not within it's your not like sort of native, set of vegetables, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's yeah. really weird. I mean, why would you? So just thinking about pomegranate molasses, because it occurred to me when I was reading through the, the recipes that I think when you're embarking on, um, especially something like, you know, veg cooking a lot of vegetarian food, it's really good to have a kind of arsenal of, in, um, store cupboard heroes mm -hmm. you know that you're going to use and you're going to bring to bear and I know you like your ingredients and I know you like your Have little you jars I've, I've seen your kitchen <laughs> I know you like your jars and your tubs and your spices I mean I stuff. prefer that they weren't visible yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> um so can you take us through a few of them, like a few things that you that you regularly pull out and go that's going to add some like wallop to this dish okay uh I don't think it's any secret that I have a particular love for Rose Harissa. Yeah, I think that's... And I'm, 
I you only think face on the job. I know they really should. I know, right? Um, I I think to be perfectly honest, I'm the only reason I'm so loyal to that particular brand is because mm. just hands down they make the best quality. I think. You know, I'm is that Bellazoo? It we is. I didn't want to. I didn't want to be brash and mention it. Bellazoo, because actually, I, I mean, it is. It is. Is a lovely Rose Harissa. I've used it a lot. I think, to be perfectly honest, that's the general consensus. Yeah. I don't know anyone who's ever sort of said, "Oh, I don't like theirs. No, I like I this it. stuff in a tube." Because yeah. actually, the other ones are quite abrasive mm. and can be bitter sometimes or have things like smoked paprika that have no business being in, in or a Spanish yeah. ingredient, you know, and they're, they're not part of the normal flavors. Mm. And, you know, at its sort of peak, Harissa is a North African chili paste with the addition here of rose water, yeah. which is very slight, but just gives it's a really very slight round well. flavor that yeah. you can't detect as rose. And and it's very least, it's a chili paste. Mm. And I use it in arrabbiata pasta and I stir it into soups and I'll make butter compounds with it. And I'll use it in bread doughs and I'll use it actually in a pasta dough, not just in the sauce and stir fries and you name it. I've even put it on cornettos. Yeah. And I think this is, people think this is quite weird. but That is quite weird. But it works. <laughs> but it works. Next time you pull out like a, you need to go with a, a rather let's just say no fancy ice cream. Yeah. Like, you know, you could actually probably do it with a fancy vanilla bean ice cream, but it really works yeah. it's the, if it's those obscenely sugary, you know, fake, that, yeah. fake rich ones. And it's just a tiny bit. It's like, mm-hmm, And the colour as well is gorgeous. Yeah, I just, I'm, I'm mad for it. And I use Harissa in everything okay. because it's just it's the gift that keeps on giving and I keep thinking one day I'm just going to run out of suggestions of things to do with Arisa. <laughs> and then and you then find I, something else. And then I can't, well, no, <laughs> then I'm like, I can never write a book again. <laughs> and then I just find another 50 ways. So maybe I'll write the book 5,000 ways with Harissa maybe one day. So that's going to give you like a deep kind of like savory heat to dishes and yeah, spiciness. It and- does. And if you use it correctly yeah. in a balanced way yeah. and I'll explain that so people go well, what does she mean by correctly if you balance it with other things it's actually not terribly spicy yeah you're right actually because I sometimes take and this is uh, it's a recipe I did in a previous book where it was just a, I just made a steak sarni basically yeah. you know because sometimes it's got to be done um, and I literally slapped a steak with covered it with rose harissa and by the time it hit the heat and the searing fire, I mean, I was quite surprised. I was like, it's really not, not that spicy <laughs> anymore. And I was like, how interesting that we use it in different ways. Mm, it, changes it changes completely. Yeah. And usually a good tip in recipes, like I, I would think nothing of using harissa uh, in a like a rib marinade or chicken yeah. wing marinade. It's perfect. Mm. You know, you just make your chicken wings like, but like if we're making a barbecue mm. sauce, that's essentially bit of ketchup, bit of soya, sugar, that kind yeah. of vibe. So I would add in a little bit of harissa, but then mm. just use the same amount of honey. Yeah. Because it balances out the harissa really beautifully. And if you have a squeeze of acid, whether that's vinegar or lemon juice, it also really brings out the flavor of mm. the harissa, but not necessarily because of its chili notes. Yeah. So it's... It's complementary, isn't it? It's not one of those really ingredients is. that will dominate everything. It goes, yeah. in, like you said, smoked paprika. 
although I love it. But it covers, it, I it, mean, nothing stands a hope yeah. in hell of standing up if to it. If you put that in a dish, that's what you're going to taste. That's all you taste. Yeah, you're it not really, really going to taste anything else. And I love it, but I love it in context yeah, of the, like, I love things. chorizo. I mean, there's yeah. no way. Yeah. I, that's just one of my favorite yeah. things. I'm not absolutely <laughs> mad for it, but... I don't necessarily want it in a very delicate mm. spiced fish dish when I'm like, oh, geez, that's all I can taste yeah. is is that. That's too much. What else have you got in that store cupboard then? What about spices? Spices. Um, so literally my favorite spices, if we're just peeling it back, are yeah. salt and pepper. I mean, like people are asking me, well, you know, what would you take with you yeah. on a desert <laughs> island? And I'm like... It, what it, would you take with you on a desert island? Garlic, salt, pepper and chili. Yeah. Really, nothing that touches those yeah. things could be bad because yeah. you've just you, seriously <laughs> nothing. True. You've got everything you need yeah. right there. I mean, to be, to be honest, if it's a desert island, I cheat and I go, well, it's obviously going to be in the sea, yeah. so I don't really need to worry. <laughs> I, just, I can have an extra thing. I can have an extra thing, and in which case, I'll bring dairy, something yeah. feta. Probably die on a yeah. desert <laughs> island to be stinking in minutes, but. Um, spices i'm i'm actually find myself recently going i'm using a lot more dry herbs oh, than yeah. i used to be which is interesting because they seem to be okay chili is exempt because chili is a staple for me i put that Chili's in everything just core it's just Chili's a core ingredient along with salt and pepper yeah. <laughs> um yeah i seem to be embracing things like um wild oregano oh, wild yeah, thyme yeah. marjoram and even if you can't find the wild stuff which is just sold in yeah. supermarkets but you can just get regular oregano mm. or, or thyme and i love the citrusy vibe that marjoram has and you know i had this amazing pasta dish at trullo a few years ago it was yeah. lemon and marjoram pasta and i didn't I, to be honest i couldn't really tell you what marjoram was before that i knew it was a herb yeah. but it's not didn't it's never been the, in yeah. our flavor palette and it's not something that the brits are also oh love marjoram yeah. you know it's not it's true and then i was like damn this is good, good. Yeah. yeah and it's so lemony right i'm gonna have to bring this back for experimentation of course now i know exactly how yeah. to use it and there's various recipes that like you you would use a dried herb over a fresh herb yeah because you get that extra welly with it intensity yeah. totally different intensity like i have um a recipe that i did for you guys that was um uh, so it had uh, it was the butter bean and butternut squash. Oh yeah, that with the dried mint, and it had dried mint yeah. oil on top. You just cannot achieve that. No, with you fresh can't. Mint. And it's you get just really a depth. yeah, it's a different depth, and it's, it's like warm as well. It's it sort of, is. It might is. just to bring that with it. Yeah. yeah, rather than that kind of fresh coolness of it. Yeah. So it's um, yeah, I'm mad about herbs a lot, and I'm obsessed with this oregano that I get. I'm not going to lie, I get it from Kefalonia. Um, I, I went there once a few years ago, made friends with the people that own this beautiful oh, hotel really? and ended up doing a cooking demo there. And and they just were very kind and kind of gifted me um, little prezzies. And one of them was this amazing oregano. And I don't think I've ever tasted anything like it. And I just put it on everything. I just and how does it, does it come in tiny little... Buds. Of the buds, yeah, actually. It's not actually the... attached to the bud, ah. It's but it comes in this jar. I think I've seen... And it's the kind of stuff that if, yeah. like, the cops found it on you yeah, and you're out about in like... a little bag, they'd, they'd probably <laughs> arrest you. And you're like, I swear, it's oregano, officer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's 
so aromatic yeah, and really fragrant. doesn't taste like crappy pizza oregano. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Completely like different. Oh. Yeah, it's not like dusty little no. tiny bits. Yeah, I think it's quite expensive, but it sounds like it's worth well, investing in it for from a Kefalonia. Actually, yeah. you know, if you get it there, it's actually it's not it's, expensive, yeah. but it's so good. I mean, you can get that here in kind of like Greek delis, yeah. and Turkish delis. The way to not going to leave the Turks behind, yeah. otherwise I get written to. It's not just the Greeks, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I really the herb side of it. I like really... that bringing it back because it's it, you previously. I do feel like dried herbs just fell out of favour. You know, they were yeah. seen as kind of because there's some really crappy ones yeah, still. Let's yeah, be honest. I, ca- <laughs> I cannot do the mixed herb blend. No. There's just no good reason. And there's, I still really do think, unless it's a soup, there really is no use for dried parsley. I'm so sorry. No, I mean, can you even get, I'm, I'm sure yeah, you, you can, can. Like, I'm sure it tastes of nothing. Dried dill I've found back and I use that yeah. to make um, Persian recipes. Nice. But I add fresh as well. Yeah. But it just picks up just gives an extra tea. Yeah. Dried mint I have use for, which I think is probably the most underused of all the herbs, yeah. judging from my, what my students tell me. Yeah. And because they're like, I don't know what else to use it on. And Ooh. I'm like, well, you do now. I've given you three more, <laughs> you know, dishes. Um, and I, I dried chives. I kind of have a soft spot for okay. them because I can also fold them into dishes like rice dishes that yeah. we cook the Persian way. So they've had a long cooking time. Cook, and, but I intensify it with fresh herbs again. Yeah. I Imagine think, in a barbecue rub that would work quite well as well. Because uh, of the I just of think actually onion-y. anything oniony yeah. works for me. And me it's too. a godsend if you don't have anything oniony. It just kind of reminds me of like cheese and chive dip powder. Oh, Do you yeah. remember those in <laughs> the 80s? Yeah. yeah. So you'd have a sachet and it was yeah. the sachet was just this you mixed it horrific with powder milk that or you something, mixed didn't it you? with milk or yogurt and or it something became this yeah, yeah there was grandma's entertaining yeah it was completely. limited to packets <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my god crimes against food in the and 70s crudite, and 80s because it was the 80s yeah, the crudite were everything and i think they're back i'm sure they're trendy they are i've got one recipe in my book but you? there's oh my no god. there's no dodgy powdered dip <laughs> um one thing we're going to do, which we've never done before, is we are going to go and cook some food together. <laughs> no. And what we're going to cook is... She says we. She's we. lying. I'm going to poke it with a spoon <laughs> and pretend I was involved. Um, your spiced green bean and tomato rice, which yeah. is based on um, much love Persian classic lubia palau. Is yeah. that right? Lubia yeah. polo, exactly. Polo. No, I said it completely wrong. Polo. Um, so tell us about that, because you said in your intro that, um, you know, no respectable Iranian should ever do this, remove the meat from this dish, because it's so famous. It's true. It's, um, you know, we're, we're like any culture. Mm. It doesn't matter. You could be Northern, you could be Irish, you could be Italian. You can't mess with our food. Mm. It comes with a lot of a weight of responsibility yeah, because if you ever bumped tradition. into someone from your homeland or yeah. hometown, they go, "What are you doing? I saw what you did to our, <laughs> you know, I don't know Yorkshire puddings, and yeah. how could you do that?" So, but actually, the funny thing is, the Persians that I've met here, they're, they're like, "Oh yeah, I've been making a veggie one for ages," yeah. and I'm like, "What?" Because Permission. it's the way of the world. Yeah, of course I think it it's is. Quite common, well, it's but... people adapting, isn't it? You're not going to yeah. make it exactly as your granny did. You're no. going to take it and maybe oh, twist not it. My granny. Oh, not your granny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it is a lovely recipe. And I, I just thought, you know what? There's an active amount of butter in this yeah. rice. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, and that makes it for me. That satiates me as somebody who mm. still includes meat in my diet. And that will work for vegetarians. Yeah. 
However, vegans, as always, I do have your back because it's ridiculously easy to accommodate you in today's world here yeah. in London, especially in the UK, I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. That I made this for a vegan Did you? client Just that we had at my supper, at my um, cookery classes because I, w- I didn't want yeah. him to feel left out. So instead of using butter, I just ditched the butter. I used yeah. a vegan yogurt right at the bottom of the base, which you can ditch. And I just put a little bit of oil in with the rice oh, as I okay. folded yeah, it back yeah, in yeah. there. Just to, to give, give it richness. that buttery yeah, greasiness. Yeah. Not too much. And he had the crispy bit. And he was just ecstatic oh, about it. He was so, so like, cool. thank you. <laughs> I always find that if you do go out of the way for people, they are so grateful. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm taking your money to come to my class. So I better suck it up and do a great job for you. But I, it's also I, your whole thing is, you know, don't be bound by this no, recipe. Go and try and do something with it. Yeah, just try and kind of twist food, it however food you want for to. for everyone. That's yeah. the whole point of this book is it's food for everyone. You don't need to label it. Even no. diehard carnivores, perhaps, if you don't ad- advertise in advance yeah. that you're making a meatless meal because, <laughs> you know, the, the, the psyche is a fragile yeah. thing. And if you tell, even if I have to tell my mother there's no meat tonight, she'll be like, fine, I'll have ham. <laughs> Um, on the side, a bit of ham on the side. She, Sabrina. I mean, and literally has done it to prove points yeah. in the past. Although now she's, she's a in my better. camp, yeah, because we're both kind of feeling that. And actually, most of my friends are like, "I'm totally down with no meat. That's perfect. That's Thanks." Brilliant. So, cool. what should we go and make it? Let's do. Let's it. retire to the kitchen. Yes. Okay, so we've moved into the kitchen where the magic happens. Barely um, fit in here. <laughs> And we're looking at a big pot. Um, tell us what, what type of pot you're using to cook this rice. So I don't always prescribe that people go looking for nonstick pans because right. some of them aren't really great quality, but yeah. I found some great quality ones. Okay. And that just means that I don't have to line the pan because it's nonstick with, yeah. just like you would line a cake tin with like parchment paper or baking paper. Oh, because you've given us the method in the recipe <coughs> yes, for doing I have. that. Because so most is, people don't use. So uh, that's basically your your prep if you haven't got nonstick. That's right, exactly. So um, it's that's and that, that works perfectly well, yeah. but this gives me crust around the edges as well a little uh, bit, right, especially okay. if I can cook it all day, which yeah. I don't always have the gift of. Okay. So just follow what's in the recipe unless you have a nonstick pan. Just the worst advice, the worst thing I can tell you to do is to use a cast iron pan to cook rice. It is not conducive. No, it will work, but it will burn super fast because of the heat retention capacity of cast iron pans. And also if you're cooking with gas, it's like, mm -mm, it's a recipe for disaster, basically. All right. So talk us through the recipe then. What do we we start with? So there are two processes. Basically, one process is you're essentially making a... Um, not so wet green bean ragu. Yep. Okay, you want to extract as much moisture out of it, yeah. which uh, involves a bit of diligence because if you fill the pan too much and clamp a lid on it, of course, it's just going to steam and que- okay, ke- keep right. producing moisture. Yeah. The reason we don't want moisture is because once we fold that into par- parboiled rice, mm. it just makes it claggy and it will be a very wet dish and not nice separate grain, okay. separate grains. So you make that ragu... And you really cook the tomatoes, da- the green beans down. Okay, so you want them. You don't want them bright green. You, you don't want, want them bright green. You don't want them al dente. You want 
all the rigidity to have disappeared out okay. of them. That's how we cook things in the east. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with nutrition. You don't lose anything. It's all in it's the all pan. It's all gone back in, yeah. Absolutely fine. It's just how we cook things. Yeah. And it works in my mind better yeah. um, doing it the authentic way. However, you do whatever <laughs> feels good for you at home. But I just know that every mouthful is a little bit mm. easier when there's yeah. not a big sort of rigid crunchy crunchy bit exactly so once you've made your ragu you can even do that the night before you can even make it in advance divide it in a batch and freeze it and just whip it out all you need to do is parboil some basmati rice no judgment you use whatever you want to at home but it's basmati is (laughs) the only rice that we use in iran um, or an equivalent of basmati so you just parboil it in loads and loads of hot boiling water heavily salted so you don't need to wash it you, you're just doing it in no. massive volumes of water iranians get, traditionally the, wash it yeah. but nothing but that's because rice was not commercially yeah. washed in history yeah, yeah, yeah. and there were so impurities like yeah, you know exactly. bugs and grains and stones Whereas and all kinds stuff of things you get now is not going to have any it's commercially washed um so i don't i don't wash it and if parboiling it i'm only going to rinse it under the sink yeah, exactly, anyway so so, so you parboil it for about six minutes on gas seven if you've got like old school electric trick like I do not not induction um and then you really really wash it thoroughly and ro- flip it over to make sure every ra- grain of rice is completely washed clean of starch, okay, so starch which is the enemy to get rid of yeah. for us yeah yeah but you know Persians will swear that you probably die if you have starch and where there's actually <laughs> I've written rice recipes every which way from water absorption yeah. to the Persian method we don't cook by water absorption and we are really the only culture that don't oh, okay. apart from the biryani that is embedded in Indian culture and now so many other Asian yeah. cultures because it was a Persian rice recipe it was Persian cooks that went to the Mughal Empire um, you know in that time yeah. and they valued kind of like the French courts were pretty trendy in the 16, 15, 1600s. They valued Persian courtiers oh, and cooks okay. and language and ingredients. Yeah. And along with it came this Persian method of cooking rice and elegantly layering it with not chili, but like aromatics like yeah. saffron and, mm. you know, dried fruits and uh, nuts and whatnot. And that that's a Persian thing. So, yeah. that, so they still cook biryani like with our rice method, okay. even though it's very much their dish. Yeah. So we're going to parboil the rice and then we're going to really, really shake it and just make sure it's nice and dry and then so just like leave dry. it there. Leave it on the side. Oh, really? You do, you, the parboiled rice, you want to dry it out for a little while before you do, you start? You do, just because if people sometimes mm. are like, oh, you know, why was my rice clagging? I was like, claggy. And they're like, yeah, wet, soggy. And I was like, how well did you rinse your rice? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's exactly what it was. And mm. I always know how to cut Stretch. to exactly the one because there's only, it's, it's a really actually Steps. a very simple yeah. thing, but mm. there's only one, there's only a few different kinks that can cause X, Y, and Z yeah. problem. And for wet, soggy rice in the end, that's the one. Yeah. That's the only reason it could be. So once it's dry, I just think if you leave it there for 10, 15 minutes, then you're, you've got total peace of mind that it's not wet anymore once yeah. you've given it a good shake. And you don't even have to worry or stress about it. And then... So you, do, you wouldn't put it on like um, kitchen paper or anything to dry no. it out. It's literally just let it drain naturally. And people think, oh, you're going to put it in a big bowl of ice to cool it down. <laughs> and I have this, iced water, and I'm like, yeah, you don't need to do that. Just run the cold tap Is over people it. people worrying about poisoning themselves? No, I think people are worried about people very kind in cookery schools that want to cool the rice down. And I'm like, well, yeah, I know that's great with vegetables, but you yeah. don't need to do that. Just turn the tap on. <laughs> it's absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of a bit redundant yeah. emptying a pack of ice 
over my rice. Just it, it's unnecessary. Yeah. The cold tap does cold everything. Cold tap just does it, yeah. And then all you do is you can fold or layer the green bean mixture. I like to fold it so it all gets a good coating. Yeah. You fold it into the rice, kind of like you would fold um, egg whites into a, a meringue base, gently. Mm, okay. Gently. Because you don't want to mush the rice, rice to puree. Up, yeah. So not a figure of eight, but you're lifting from the bottom. Mm. And then you just pile it back into the pan with some ghee. And this recipe I've written saffron and a little bit of yogurt, which is oh. one way of how we make tadig, this crunchy base. So t- tadig is the crunchy base. Ta means base yeah. or bottom, not yeah. bottom as in pert bottom, <laughs> but bottom as in uh, end. We have multiple meanings oh, for this word, okay, but ta so. is just, it just means base or bottom. Yeah. And dig means pan. Okay. So like... But is the dish sometimes called tadig as well? It is called... No, not the dish. It's the tadig dish. is only the crust. It's only the crust. It just means right. base of the pan, bottom of the pan. Oh, okay. Um, and so... But it is an integral part of any rice dish for us. Mm. And if if an Iranian knows if there's rice on the go, there's got to be crust. Yeah. <laughs> so if suddenly crust doesn't yeah. make an appearance on the table... <laughs> I think I someone's mean, ate it. it would, they will know. They'll be like, hang on a second. You know, <laughs> everybody would be thinking the same thing. And we can't say because we, we have a really polite culture yeah. where you would never dare question it. So we're thinking, but she's burnt it. She's burnt it. It's on the pan. <laughs> she burnt it because they wouldn't eat it because yeah. it's, a, it, it's the real pride of any cook yeah, to yeah, be able yeah. to serve a good tadig. So, um, and then, so putting saffron and yogurt into it. For this recipe, I wanted to go authentic and do this particular version. Okay. The truth is, if you don't have the budget for saffron or you can't find it, ditch it. Yeah. And you can also ditch the yogurt. You can use just ghee, which is a clarified fat, which we commonly use in Iran, yeah, yeah. but we don't call it ghee. We just call it kare, which means butter. Okay. Um, but clarified, obviously, en- enables you to cook it for much longer yeah, without yeah, yeah. burning. Yeah. Um, or you can just use veg oil. No olive oil, just veg oil. And that's what you're <laughs> melting on the bottom of the palm before yep. you before you tip that rice absolutely that you need fat because you're frying the rice yeah. at the bit like people go oh god that's a lot of oil or a lot yeah. of butter and i'm like yeah and if you're the diet end of the spectrum you can have the rice on top, top. which is just yeah. steamed mm-hmm. so there's something for everyone yeah and it's obviously not just the green bean and tomato rice we have plain rice yeah. if we have plain rice it's called cello like yeah. hello <laughs> um and if it's rice with something mixed in it it's called polo right. which is what all those words pilau uh, cloth yeah pilaf, yeah i was thinking it sounds like pilau, come yeah. from persian language yeah. but we say polo like polo, polo. um <laughs> and then yeah so, so once so you've got your but you've got your ghee and your yogurt and your saffron in the bottom the rice goes on top yeah then you what scatter happened? it in scatter it because in because you're not trying to oh, compress it you don't want to compress it you, you want to kind of li- Gently, haphazardly. Yeah. That's all. So there's good. enough room for for steam because yeah. the base is the cooking source. Yeah. So the heat source is at the bottom. So if you're going to cook the rice at the top, it's still got to draw yeah. heat from the below. Cool. And then it, you wrap a cloth around a lid and you clamp it on nice and tight. Yeah. So it becomes a steam chamber. So the 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 um the cloth is there to just give Tighten you a proper it. seal, a proper seal. seal, proper seal. And you know how biryani sometimes have a pastry seal, yeah. which I think is a convenient perk yeah. <laughs> of pastry <laughs> and rice. Yeah. I, I always eat Double it. Carbon. I look around and I go, who's looking? Oh, yeah. I'm totally <laughs> Who else this. is eating it? I'm eating it. It's fine. <laughs> I don't care. They're like, that stupid idiot. She's yeah. eating the pastry again. And then what sort um, of heat have we got on? Because we've got one on the stove now. So what sort of heat is that on? So cooking? I like to heat... Uh, what I do at home is very different to what I preach because if I've got to teach a recipe that's generically going to work yeah, for every for home, it's 
I'm not, it's a, a minefield yeah. to be perfectly honest. So I'll be truthful and I'll tell you what I'm doing at home. Yeah. I've got it. I've got crappy electric, old non-induction electric ceramic yeah. hobs. I've got it started on like five out of nine just yeah. so that it gets a little kickstart of crisping okay, up so the rice. you get the heat going through it, But yeah. then right down to like really? three. Oh. But I could keep it on three, probably for five hours. Really? You can keep this on rice all day and it won't overcook one iota. So once, so you're looking to get the, the browning started, then turn it right down and then just, just leave steam, it. Yeah. yeah. Just to steam without compromising burning the process. So you're making bottom. your own little kind of rice cooker thing there, aren't like you? Like a rice cake. Yeah. I yeah. think... Um, I've got a friend who's um, Persian heritage called Cyrus. Um, All right, yeah. Name of got, a king. Got brother called Darius. Of course, the name of another king. <laughs> Cyrus and Darius and yeah. Layla and Mariam are probably like the yeah. most popular He's names. To someone called Layla. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I just yeah. throw in the last one, Yasmin. Yeah. <laughs> Yasmin, it's literally, my nephews are called Cyrus yeah. and Darius. But he was obsessed with his, his Persian rice cooker that you know used that to great do cheats the, tool in yeah, every exactly. version <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> which, so which fights one, every oh, every law of cooking yeah, rice but, but it, it was works. the first time i'd ever come across this idea of he was like you've got to get it's all about the crust it is it's all, all about, about the crust, crust. Yeah. it's all about the crust and we've yeah. gone about it and made it for us and it was it, it was it's magical. so easy but i've never used yeah. one yeah and i never because we weren't you know, this house it was not the centre of culinary excellence yeah. in my childhood. So we never had one. I think my grandma may have bought one yeah. and then it just sat right here in this corner. Yeah. And then eventually it was like, just made redundant. And I, I, I just, I think she just gave it away to yeah. someone. So people always tell me, can I do that in a rice cooker? I'm like, I'm sure you, you can. can. <laughs> uh, I have no idea. I can't tell you. And I like I'm not the fact that you're, you know, you work with what you've got and then you kind of, you'll just wrestle with it until you find the perfect method for doing it. And I guess that's people at home are going to do that. And don't, I read, I, one of the biggest things that upsets me in books is when it's asking you to use a specific yeah, bit of kit. And I'm not. like, food processor, yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Most people have even in the mini mm. processor, the mini chopper of like what, 20 quid or something like yeah. that. I don't want to tell people go and buy a rice cooker, go yeah. and buy a bread mixer. Yeah. Like, I was always like, bread is the oldest thing known to man, <laughs> and we've it. been making it by hand for thousands yeah. of years. I will never tell people. I'll tell people it might be improved if you use the dough hook. I haven't said that yet, but actually, I want you to take great joy from making it's bread. Nice, and it's yeah. so easy mm -hmm. that, you know, I've loved it and experienced it. Then you should too. Don't, mm. I can't stand being told to buy extra kit weird ingredients that I will probably never use again. Yeah. I'm very careful to not dictate that to people. It's, you know, not everybody has the same budgets yeah, and you've exactly. got to be mindful of that. And also space. Look at my kitchen. It's like, <laughs> thank God this is like a podcast because I think you guys would be <laughs> like, like oh God, her kitchen's a, be happy a mess. Here, I think. <laughs> um, so how long are we leaving the rice on for? So technically, um, if you're cooking on gas, your options are a lot less. I'm mm. not going to lie. If you're cooking on gas, it's about 45 minutes on the lowest flame on your gas hob. This different story because it's electric or induction even mm. can be controlled really nicely. So I can afford to cook this. This has been on probably for a couple of hours okay. now. Okay. So when are we going to, are we going to turn it out now? If you like. All right. Well, Hold shall on. I just grab your... <laughs> yes. Grab the mic. Yeah. Let's do it live on air. I think in the... I think in your recipe as well, which we might have missed this one step, which is you do um, poker 
wooden spoon into the rice to yes, like I, do. I think that helps That's the steam once just you've helping mixed the steam. everything together and layered the rice into the pan yeah. if you use just the back of a wooden the handle of handle a wooden spoon, spoon yeah anything really and you just stab lots of holes right to the bottom yeah. ma- making sure you don't scratch your nice non-stick surfaces yep. <laughs> careful with some tools yeah. it just allows little vents for okay. steam to rise faster to the top so okay. yeah that helps it's a a trick actually my granny taught me yeah. who reluctantly probably cooked a handful of times <laughs> and then just to avoid the the clang that's going to come that's no, fine don't worry it's it's live i like it <laughs> live Live cooking. Okay, so we've unveiled unveiled the beauty of the rice. So um, we've taken the lid off, and the first thing that you should get is a shot of steam yeah. and a, a waft of what you're cooking. Without that shot of steam, the rice at the top isn't cooked because yeah. the steam will just be begging to come yeah. out. So that's perfect. That tells you your rice is cooked. Some of them sort of curl slightly, but essentially it's all kind of Yeah, and grains. you can actually see that the rice is all separate. separate. Yeah, it's so, not like in a big, so wadgy mass. So right. then you find, and this is, yeah. this is in most people's houses, <laughs> this is the, the bigger problem, is you find a vessel that's going to be bigger than the the cooking pot that you've Size used. Size of the rice. So a big platter or a tray lined with foil or something like that. doesn't have to be pretty. Nobody's yeah. going to complain because the food is going to be no. tasting good. So if they complain, kick them but out. But we're literally going to turn this out a hole and it's <clears throat> it's massive. This like, is like the most, this is the most religious I ever become. And yeah. I'm just like, oh God, oh God, <laughs> oh God. Say a little uh, prayer. Say a little prayer, literally. And then you put the platter, bowl, whatever over it. Yeah. Over the surface open lid of the uh, vessel, the pot. Yeah. I don't know this is going to be messy. I'm, not, oh, I'm really worried. It looks this really bit, precarious. This is slightly bigger than us. Okay. Are you sure this is, is this safe? Yeah, I hope so. Okay. God. Right. And then you grab the handles, making yeah. sure you've got a firm grasp with yep. your tea towel over it. Yeah. Over the, the it's plate. Be hot. Yep. One, two, three. Oh my God. <laughs> you just okay. practically That's held it, it up. Over you your head. Flip it over your head. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think you were going to do that. Didn't you? <laughs> no. It's a, it's, it has to be. You can't mess around. Oh my either. god! It's perfect. Thank God. <laughs> oh my god! Thank the god. only time. The only time you don't want to mess up is when you're trying to show someone how great you are at doing something. Oh my god! It's absolutely and then beautiful. If you bring the mic closer, I'll show you one integral part. Put it there. Yeah. That's crispy. The, the crispy crust surface. It's kind of, I always almost make it akin to like the creme brulee test. Yeah. You know, you want to make sure that you've got a solid surface on top, but of yeah. course it's not a shard of sugar like that. It's it is absolutely. And it's so stunning. I'm going to grab a picture of this so we can stick it on Instagram so everyone's going to see. Fabulous. Yeah. And we're, we're going to eat this now. Which <laughs> we is are going to eat this, which is why we're saying goodbye. No. <laughs> Thank, no. Well, I was going to say, because we have done almost an hour, um, Thank you so much for chatting to us today about the book. So the book's called Bazaar. Bazaar, yeah. And it's out right now for people to buy, it I believe. Everywhere, yeah. all good bookshops, yeah. local retailers, online. <laughs> <laughs> and the recipes in there also in the April, some of them in the April edition of Olive Magazine, um, which is out at the end of this week. But thank you so much, Fabrina, again, for coming to chat to us. It was brilliant. Thank, thank you. you so much. So that was the Olive Magazine podcast. If you like this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd really love to hear from you. If you'd like to find out more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. 
You can pick up a copy of our brand new April issue with all the recipes we talked about with Sabrina on the newsstand now, or go and download the app version for more food and drink chat.